Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Today's guest, Rachel Jacks, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes days after recovering from COVID. Various news sources have shared the increase in type 1 diabetes numbers after COVID diagnosis, but Rachel is the first person in my diabetes circle that can speak to this and why she is the perfect guest. But before we dive in, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit charitable organization. Funds raised to help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, stay engaged on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter and subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel where this episode will be live. All right, enough rambling. Let's get started. All right, welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast, Rachel. I want to start with where are you calling in from? Yeah, so I am based out of the Twin Cities, um, Minnesota, so Minneapolis, Minnesota. Are you from there? Because you don't have an accent like that. That's really, really funny that you say that. So I was born in Michigan, but I've lived here most of my life. So I don't know, maybe I just don't have the long old Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if it comes out. Being from Oklahoma, I have a twang every once in a while. I'm like, darn it. I did not want to sound like that, but you know, whatever. Okay. So let's talk. I start most episodes with, because everybody's diagnosed with the same disease, but our diagnosis stories are very different. So can you walk us through? Yeah. What that looked like? Yeah. My diagnosis story. I just, I find it so interesting because Throughout my background of community health, whenever I intersect with folks who are battling chronic illness, like that story is so important. And I think yeah. it's just what brings us all together is telling our story and being seen in that moment. Um, but my diagnosis, actually, I'm, I'm relatively new um, to my type one diagnosis. Um, about a year and a half ago, um, I had COVID before vaccines were available um, and my family and I all got sick. Um, and then I found myself in the hospital about a month later with a type one diagnosis. So that was my story. Well, and the, here's the thing with that. Okay. Oh, there's, I have so many questions with that because I think you're the first person I have talked to, honestly, that had the diagnosis shortly after having COVID. So there's, we're going to get into family history here in a little bit, but did you have the traditional symptoms? I mean, COVID is going to wear you down and make you different than you normally would react. So tell me about how they determined type one diabetes was the diagnosis. Yeah, that's such a great question because it can get kind of just confusing, right? Because COVID Mm -hmm. makes you feel exhausted. My family did not have a lot of the respiratory symptoms that came with COVID, but exhaustion was a big one for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you know, all of my family was recovering and things kind of dragged in to January for me, I actually started noticing just really typical signs of having type one. So I could not get enough water. I was like dreaming about water. I remember remember being so preoccupied to whether we had <laughs> water in the house or not. My husband was kind of like, what is wrong with you? But I was like, no, you don't understand. Like I just, I need carbonated water. So that was a, you know, a telltale sign for me. And, and I was losing weight. And even though my weight had dropped a little bit over COVID, my weight has stayed stable for years. And so once I started losing like five, 10 pounds, I really started wondering what was going on with me. The other symptom that I have, which again, my husband and I laugh about now, but I woke up every morning so irritable. It was this (laughs) irritability that 
I just could not put my finger on. And again, like your mind goes to so many different places because, you know, we were six months into lockdown and my whole family had just been sick. But looking back at it, I think that those increased glucose levels were definitely a contributor to that irritability. But that um, makes that makes total sense, honestly. Mm -hmm. And not one that a lot of people talk about, um, because if you don't get a good night's rest because your blood sugars are high. You, you, you don't get good sleep and that's not talked about often enough. So going back to, you have a family history. So you're well aware of what type one diabetes is. Let's talk a little bit about your brother. Yeah. So I am the oldest of four. I have three younger brothers. I just, I'm so fortunate. My siblings and I have such a close, good relationship and we just enjoy being around each other. But my family narrative is, is that when we were all younger and my younger brother was just about to go into kindergarten, he received his own type one diagnosis. So, and it was so interesting, you know, looking at that through the eyes, I was 10 at the time. So the child, you know, my parents, you know, he'd been sick for a while and been vomiting and had weight loss, you know, and then it came to like, they took him to the hospital and his glucose levels were like 700. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and he was, you know, in DKA or starting that process, but had to be hospitalized, was in the hospital for like over a week. So yeah. in in again, as a kid, that is just so ingrained in your memory, what that process looked like, but yeah, so he's um, 35. He's had the diagnosis for 30 years now. So, okay. So he's had it for decades as well. And you know, with that too, like, okay. So when you were diagnosed, okay, moving back, hold on family history prior to that, any, anybody else? Yeah. So weirdly, my family has a lot of autoimmune, lots of rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. And then my oldest son, so I have three boys myself. And when my oldest son was 10, he was diagnosed with Graves disease, which is such a Mm -hmm. strange diagnosis for a 10 year old boy to get. Mm -hmm. And even though I knew we had this threat of autoimmune in my family, I was like, oh, that's, you know, just feels kind of weird to me still. But knowing that I am, you know, probably a very strong carrier now, you know, of that autoimmune process and and that diagnosis for him makes a little more sense now that I've received my own. Well, and it's crazy to me, and I am obviously not a medical professional, but if you have a family history history like that of chronic autoimmune and then COVID kicks in that, do you think that's the trigger? Was it laying dormant during this whole time? And that just kicked it into gear. I mean, I know I have so many questions about that. The one thing I can say, and it, and it wasn't dismissed by my healthcare providers, but I remember it probably not being taken as seriously as it should have, is that probably for five years prior to my diagnosis, I had been developing some really strange, severe hypoglycemic episodes. Mm. I would go for a run and all of a sudden I would, and I knew it was hypoglycemia because again, of my brother growing up, like I knew Mm -hmm. this is what that was. I'd get, you know, shaky and sweaty. And um, I just, I could not figure out why that was happening. And I kind of just chalked it up to like, maybe you didn't eat enough before you went out, but it got to the point that I was always carrying something on me because I was getting so nervous about those episodes. So I was carrying glucose tabs around with me. I was carrying a juice box, you know, when I went for a longer walk and I probably brought it up to my physician three years before, you know, consistently three years before my diagnosis, they would always check at A1C. My A1C was fine. They would do a fasting glucose. Those fasting glucose came back fine, but that was just another like little piece to my puzzle that I, it's hard to determine whether this is always going to be a part of my story, you know, and again, COVID just kind of kicked it to where it needed to be. But that is so crazy. And all those things. And like, I think about more type two diabetes when it comes to how mm-hmm. the blood is were you I mean like straight up diagnosed with type one right off the bat or did they think it was type okay I was diagnosed with type one right off the bat. Well, there was a little conversation, I guess, before my auto antibody panels came back. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, they, they really couldn't, you know, I, I guess it wasn't definitive until that time, but I, I have heard stories. So of this later onset in folks and them being misdiagnosed as a type two for quite some time. And that's yeah. really tough. But, mm-hmm. Especially with your age. And I mean, I think that's, that's a common, unfortunate, but thankfully you were not misdiagnosed and you were. And so with uh, one of the, one of the many questions that I ask every single guest is when you were diagnosed, do you feel like you received proper education? to best manage your diabetes. And with that being said, because you knew what diabetes looked like watching your brother, do you feel like you were given adequate information? I love this question. And part of the reason I love this question is because this is my professional background as well. So again, coming from like a community health lens, and this is something I think about a lot, um, especially again with my own diagnosis. I think I was educated to the point where people thought I needed to be, but there was a lot of things that were missed. And I always go back to, so at the beginning of my career, I actually interned at McNeely Pediatric Diabetes Center here in the city. So I got to sit in on patient education and, and, and look at these newly diagnosed parents coming in with just, you know, they just have this look of, you know, shock on their faces and they're excited. And the way we used to educate, and I, and I can't speak to it because I haven't been in the setting for a while, but we would give them a binder that was like hundreds of pages full (laughs) of information. And, and then we would kind of like, like do the highlight reel, right? Like hypoglycemia and insulin administration and, you know, and monitoring or monitoring your glucose. But as we know, as people who live with the diagnosis, it's so much more nuanced than that. And and there are so (laughs) many things that lay in the spaces in between. And that's where I think, again, even though I think I had the highlight reel stuff covered when I got my own diagnosis, I was never prepared for the nuance of of what it takes to manage this diagnosis. Uh, Well said. And let me just ask, and not that you can say this right off the bat, but I think about almost four decades of living with this disease the things that I learned myself or through the diabetes community. So do you feel like you have a life hack or something that you figured out on your own? Um, Some people talk about coffee or working out, right? I mean, like, so is there something that you figured out on your own that would be beneficial? I know that's a tough question just right off the bat, but the medical community isn't going to be able to touch on things because they're not living with the disease. So Right, right. No, that is such a great question. You know what I, well, and again, I know it's so individualized. But the way I react when I am sick or I have high levels of stress is just bizarre. My glucose, I'm relatively sensitive to insulin. So like my bolus to carb ratio is relatively minimal, but I took a flight not too long ago to North Carolina. My glucose levels were over 300 that entire flight. I'm not a good flyer to begin with. And then like (laughs) through that whole process, I I was just like, oh my gosh. But I think that that, those small things, again, the nuanced things and how you react individually to them and continue to be curious about why your blood sugar is acting the way it is. I think so often when we interact with professionals, they kind of go to the the tried and true approaches, right? So, oh, did you really eat the amount of carbs you said you did, you know, so your bolus would cover it, right? Are you sure you didn't forget to, you know, take your long acting insulin, you know, those sorts of, and I think my hack would be empower yourself enough and have enough belief and knowing yourself that you can advocate yeah. for when something doesn't seem right, you know, and, and just because there's a, you know, you hold that knowledge about yourself and no one knows you better than you. So I would just say again, in those nuanced spaces where, you know, it's not a food thing, you know, it's not an insulin administration thing, you know, don't be afraid to bring those up to your practitioner and then probably and actively problem solve about those, you know, those issues, but. Absolutely. And I will say, because when we're talking about regimen, I want to ask what type of diabetes management tools do you use? Are you on a CGM or insulin pump or MDI therapy? 
Yeah, great question. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a Dexcom. I couldn't imagine my life without my Dexcom. Again, I think back to my parents when they had my brother at five, like having to wake him up in the middle of the night and kind of crossing their fingers. Yeah, you know, that he wasn't too low or he wasn't too high. I, I just I think about them all the time. I don't think they got good sleep for like twenty years. I really, really don't. And then, so I am currently on the InPen. So I oh, use. Yeah. The yeah. Um, and I've loved that too. That's been a great option for me, but you know, I just got my Omnipod five on my doorstep last night and I'm really excited. Oh. <laughs> so, I know. so I can't wait to start. So I have it like the package downstairs and all my pods. So that will be the next step in my management journey, but. Oh, that's exciting. You're going like straight from MDI to the mother load. I mean, that's incredible. I'd be curious to see how, well, we'll talk about that another time, but if that lessen the burden because the system is so different and helping you manage your diabetes without having to think about it as much. Right. I know I've been turning my wheels about that a little bit and I'm sure it's going to take time to get used to, but I think you're, I think you're correct in that sometimes we classify lessening the burden as not having to think about it, but sometimes in the interim, yeah. it's actually more work, right? <laughs> to like Absolutely. let go trust the technology. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Well, it's good. And I hate to say this, but that you're early into this disease, because if you are so used to this routine, like your brother for decades, then that shift can be very difficult. I remember remember changing from NPH and regular cloudy and clear two injections a day to carb counting and different types of insulin. I was like, damn, this is hard and so much more work, but I felt better. I lost weight. I mean, there's so many things in if you don't mind sharing, what is your brother? Does he, do you guys compare notes? What is he using? You know, we do. It's so funny. I have been so blessed in that regard. He has been such, I mean, beyond being a resource for me, he has been such a great support because I, I would call him when I was, you know, dropping like a rock and, you know, he would kind of work me through the anxiousness of, you know, getting a low and things like that. But he has been, uh, he's used MDI ever since he was diagnosed. He has a Dexcom and I think yeah. he just to a Dexcom like three years ago. <laughs> so he, he really was old school for a long time, but again, it's what he grew up with. It, it's worked for him. You know, now we'll kind of talk about what being on Omnipod means for me. And I think he's curious, but he's done a great job. I think that's great to hear. Well, and having three children and the family history, any concerns there? Yeah, a lot. And gosh, I think being a mom inherently, you always hold this worry in your heart for your kids. And, you know, I've been especially careful about my oldest because he has a Graves disease mm -hmm. diagnosis already. And we know autoimmune diagnoses like to come in pairs sometimes. So I've been particularly mindful about him. But, you know, my youngest and I were at a 4-H event the other day and he got kind of ill and he passed out. And in my first, you know, and it ended up, he was fine, ended up being because he was overheated. But my first thought was, oh my God, I wonder if something is going on with his glucose levels. I mean, that was like my first thought with that. And they got to the hospital and that was one of the first things they checked. And I remember just like having this churning feeling in my stomach before we got those results back and the relief that washed over me when his reading was normal, you know? So uh, I think it's something that's always going to sit in that space for me. Well, it's yeah. been a while since I've talked about this there, and I'm, I don't know if you know about it, but trial net, are you familiar with that? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And it's one of those like bittersweets. Do you want to know? Do you, I mean, it's ah, yeah, so many things. Yeah. Positive thoughts. And at least, you know, and your family knows the, the signs to look for, and hopefully that will never happen. <laughs> right, right. I know. And I just, I've been in children's mental health for like the past eight years. And, and I really just have this like vested interest too, and in just having kids and families do the best that they can. And I've been thinking a lot about the kids who sit 
you know, who just, who disparity exists for them. Right. You yeah. know, and that, you know, so often the onset of this disease happens with a DKA diagnosis and, right. and, and ramifications of that. And um, yeah, it, it's exciting that we have things um, like type one detect out there, you know, to get kids, mm-hmm. you know, out to families. And I've screened a couple of my kids, my, I have not gotten my little one to buy in yet. <laughs> so we're working on them, but you know, what a blessing just to have that like available, you know, if families would want to utilize that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to, okay. So we've talked about your treatment and the family autoimmune, like I just, that's gotta be like a, ugh, so many things there because I think you're the first person that I've interviewed that has that type of family dynamic. I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but like my family, there's no type ones. This was a out of the blue kind of scenario. There's so many stories there, but that's, that's beside the point. So I want to talk about one of the reasons why I wanted to interview and why I communicated in the very beginning was because you wrote something I want to say on LinkedIn about your first time to take a trip with type one diabetes and the struggle. I'm not going to, you tell me about that. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to put words in your mouth. Yeah. So recently my girlfriend and I took a trip to North Carolina and it was the first trip that I had taken since I was diagnosed uh, without my family. Um, so yeah. my family and I vacationed over the summer, but this was the first time I was by myself that really didn't have anyone around me that really intimately knew the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And while I really enjoyed myself, it was such a fun trip. And my friend and I just have such a great time together. You know, I was so acutely aware of the mental burden that it took mm-hmm. to keep things going the entire time. And just all the contingency plans you have to have upon contingency plans. Right. And I think in my post, I had talked about having backup supplies for my backup supplies. And a couple of my sensors had failed. It was really, really hot in North Carolina. We were doing a lot of hiking and a lot of walking and they just had come off. And I had brought three with me, two I had to toss. I had one more left and I had brought some backup strips, but not enough. And I came to this juncture where my sensor was having a funny time reading and Mm -hmm. it was reading out correctly and it had suspended. And we're in the middle of this long walk. I have no test strips left. And like, so I was trying to navigate the city and find a pharmacy to get my test strips. And we were, you know, Ubering and lifting all over the place. And, you know, finally found somewhere that had, you know, my AccuCheck test strips. But, you know, again, it's like you hold this duality of like wanting to be very independent, right? Like Mm. wanting to not let the diagnosis affect your life, not wanting to be a burden to other people. But I think like the inevitability of it is that this is something that just shares space with your life all the time. And and I don't think there is any situation where it's managed well enough, or you prepare enough to avoid any of that completely, right? Like you can be the best prepared and and the best managed and and it just still manages to creep in. So again, it's hard, you know, I'm trying to reconcile a lot of those feelings still, I think. And it's one of those, and I, I, I guess I never really realized that until reading like your story and those of other people that I, and people that I've interviewed, I will say one quick story, just not that I can, but I can relate is I went to San Antonio. This is a few years ago. To visit friends and we went to the Elton John final tour concert. And shortly before that, we'd gone for a hike. My blood sugar just kept was high. And then I realized that my insulin pin had malfunctioned and no longer had insulin. And so I was like, holy crap, I that was my backup. And so all hands on deck, I reached out to the diabetes online community, thankfully. And everyone was like, I'll drive an hour, I'll meet you this way, whatever. And thankfully, Novo Nordisk, I had a two-hour conversation with them, hooked up with a local pharmacy. I mean, it was just one thing after another, but I literally went to the Elton John concert 
with a little bit of insulin left in my pen and went to the medical unit. I didn't tell my friends any of this. I just said, I got to go talk to some medical people. And just to see if they had a syringe, I could withdraw the insulin because I didn't have anything. And the pen, whatever, it took the joy out of that. And later they realized the severity of the situation. And they were just like, I'm so sorry. You have to think about those things. And even though they see my diabetes management on a daily, uh, regular basis, it was just like a come to Jesus moment for them. And it's, so I appreciate you sharing that story. I hate that that happened to you. And I, you know, talk to people, it's, you can plan and plan and plan. Diabetes doesn't always work that way. The great thing, again, about connecting with the community is you just need to give a shout out and people yeah. will come out of the woodwork because nobody wants to see you not have a good time. So it's some crazy stuff right there. One of the other questions I ask everybody right now, because we've really focused in the past couple of years about food deserts and what does healthy living look like? Mm-hmm. So do you have access to fresh fruits and vegetables within a two mile radius? I am so privileged to say that I do. Yep. I absolutely do. And gosh, what an important subject. And thank you for talking about that and bringing that to likes. Again, that is not the reality of so many families. Right. And I think too, gosh, we, we live in this space that I think the healthy eating conversation has taken a little bit of a turn to not be as inclusive as it could be, right? So I saw this great post on nutrition the other day about how frozen vegetables are a fantastic option, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes we don't, we don't think about those kind of things either, you know, and, and just to be more inclusive of those things. But, but I know what you mean though. There are so many areas, certainly, uh, you know, this, the twin cities that I live in um, where access to those things is just not available to folks, but I'm very privileged to say that I do. Yeah. Well, and I love that you bring up frozen vegetables. I know this sounds ridiculous, but but you, when it goes from, it goes from fresh to frozen to canned, I mean, canned is the last option, but I know for a lot of people having that canned food in your pantry is the, the best option for you. So, but it's, it's really heartbreaking for me to realize, or I guess I feel very blessed because I too have access to those things, maybe within walking distance and whatever. And yeah, I'm glad you're in that position. I want to touch back on a little bit about your professional career. Yeah. So I started my, again, my, my degree work is in community health education. So the common narrative throughout my career has, has been healthcare related one way or the other. At the very early part of my career, I did a lot of patient education. So again, interned at the Pediatric Diabetes Center. I was a labor and delivery coach for young and immigrated women for a oh, while. Wow. Oh, I loved it. It was it was a wonderful, wonderful job. I did some autism practitioner work. Um, so worked with families and building their therapeutic rapport with their kiddos who had an autism spectrum diagnosis. Um, and then I actually kind of veered off the path a little bit and I founded my own company. Um, I actually developed an injection site rotation tool. What? Yeah. Yeah. So it was called Tartoos. My company was visual medical and it was a tattoo grid that had little fun, discrete tattoos that spaced injections two inches apart to facilitate proper injection site rotation. So I developed that product. I ran it through kind of a business startup competition out of the University of Minnesota here. And our company got one of the top 10 places, which was awesome. Nice. So it gave me the validation that I needed to move forward to move to direct to consumer. And I did that. I did that for a little while, kind of bootstrapped my company, had a couple distribution deals. But startup, the startup world is hard. Yeah, I know. God, I know. <laughs> yeah. So after a while, actually, one of my kiddos just needed a little extra attention. So I decided to, to transition out of that. And that's when I started my work at the Minnesota Association for Children's Mental Health. And I've been there for eight years working with family and kids who have a mental health diagnosis. I got to say that what you created is a really valuable tool, especially for those newly diagnosed. Uh, my, I have my thighs are a wreck from giving shots 
in my thighs, my, my whole teenage and early college career. That's on me on that because I knew better. But um, just having that little tool or reminder is very valuable. So if you're someone, a company that wants to take that on, I'm sure you'd be willing to chat with them about it because I think that would be a great diagnosis tool. Honestly, and and actually, that was my motivation for all of this. It, it it was actually directly born out of that experience I had interning because there there's no. I mean, we would say, okay, make sure to rotate your child's injection sites, and we would give them those charts with the goofy grids on them, you know, like yeah. on the arms and the thighs. But when you again, when you are a person inject, how in the heck are you ever supposed to remember where you gave your last <laughs> injection, let alone on your child? Like that is just not, you know, like yeah. that is not realistic, you know. So yeah, you know, if, if, if the call comes for visual medical and tattoos to get up and going again, I certainly would take that on. We had some great partnerships. So I worked with children with diabetes and yeah. would a lot of their, or a lot of product to their friends for life conference, you know, yeah. so they would get them out. But the other reason I like it too, is that the tool actually kind of transcended language barriers, you know, so mm-hmm. when we were, when we were educating, you know, Latino populations, or we have a very large uh, Somali population in the mm-hmm. Twin Cities as well. It's a really great concrete way to to convey that concept. So it was a good run. I, I really, really enjoyed my work with my company, but. Well, good for you. I love, entre- I'm a serial entrepreneur and my parents are still waiting for me to get a real job. But, uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And I want to end with the fact that having three boys and a husband. Okay. One, does your husband have access to your Dexcom numbers? He does. He does. Yeah. He has the companion app and you know what? So does my oldest son. So I actually, my oldest son is 22 and so he's, he's at home still, but it makes him feel better. So they both have access to that app. Yep. Okay. Do they ever say anything if they notice your numbers are higher or lower? They do. My husband actually will come wake me up. I, I actually ran into a situation the other night. I was ignoring my low alarm because before all day long, well, and we know like this 20 point differential rule with desk, like with desk yeah. comp, right? and, and you, you get a sense throughout the day, whether your dex is kind of trending higher than what your real numbers are right. not, you know, are, you know, and all day it was like 20, 30 point, And I was like, you know what? I, I know I'm higher than I am. Right. Well, I wasn't. And in fact, I was 20 points lower than I really was. <laughs> and I, got, I was really not feeling well, but he will, he'll come and wake me up, which is great. My son, I, I tell my son to shut it off at night. I just, I like, I don't want him disturbed yes, word, word. about things, but in the morning he'll kind of debrief with me and he'd be like, you had a lot of low alarms last night. And I'm like, I know I was up eating Oreos at four, you know, <laughs> like, <that's okay. laughs> so um, yeah. So I, they, my husband will say something. My son will kind of bring things up once in a while, but I don't want it to be disruptive to their life and experience either. But what about your two younger boys? Do they ask any questions or, or whatnot about having diabetes? You know, they do. I am so lucky again to say that they have just been very interested learners mm. since I've been diagnosed. And I joke, my 11 year old is kind of like, it's like he's 30 at times. He's very like, just very kind of precocious. And, and I often joke, like he will be the one to help me if I need help because he's like, oh, you're long acting insulin and your bolus insulin. He has all the vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. So yeah, no, and my middle guy is great too. And they're always very just understanding and patient and compassionate. So I have been very lucky in that regard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, I, I gotta say, cause I'm in some of the other T1D adults who have children. I've, I've heard conversations about, they had to fight with their child about this is my juice box. Please don't drink this. Or mommy has these snacks. Don't, you know, and it's like, why can't I have that? Or so I'm glad that you have a healthy conversation with your children with when it comes to that managing your disease. 
Yeah. Oh, snacks are a struggle though. I, I have three boys <laughs> like snacks. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's like no rules around who consumes snacks. So I have, I have them just hidden in strategic <laughs> places around the house that they wouldn't look. <laughs> so that's my, like my hack to that. But I, I love that. I was going to, I was thinking maybe you could have a locked cabinet when you have a low blood sugar, getting that, finding the key and getting it unlocked would be like a nightmare. Um, oh. I'm sure. <laughs> Well, I want to end with, is there anything else you want to share with the audience about, I mean, you're one of the more newly diagnosed people I've met and what a shift in life um, that has been, I'm sure. So anything else you want to share with the audience? Yeah. You know, the, there, first of all, I think our community is just fantastic. Like I can't say enough about the support you receive. It's like sight unseen when you meet another person with a T1D diagnosis, it's like you have this bond, you know, and I've experienced that so many times. So everything from when you're out in public, you know, to the, you know, the many online communities we have, I think, you know, support that we give each other is just so, so valuable. And that's a very comforting thing to someone who's walking into the diagnosis, you know, and has not been dealing with it for relatively long. But, you know, I also want to say, you know, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope. Um, There's a lot of living to do. That walks alongside a lot of adjustments and a lot of considerations. But you can lead a very full, lovely life with this diagnosis as well. But 100% agree. And this is for real, the last question, is I think about my professional setting when I first started using Dexcom, I did my best to hide it. And I, I wasn't wearing it on my abdomen, but do you wear it loud and proud or do you try to keep it under your shirt or not as in public? You know, I think again, because of my education background and, and I, and I work on a relatively small staff. So professionally, everyone kind of knew, you know, when I was in the hospital and think like, this is what was yeah. going on and happening with me. So I actually am a-okay wearing my Dexcom out and, and just letting people know, like, this is, you know, this is just kind of what comes along with, with who I am. So, and some of that I think is born out of being nervous about getting into a situation that I could need some assistance with. But some of it too is just, you know, in, in mental health, uh, we work really, really hard to fight stigma. So I think I'm taking some of that along with me in my own diagnosis with, with type one diabetes. But I'll be curious to see once you're official, officially a potter, like, yeah. I mean, cause that is loud and proud and there's a lot of, and it's just funny to see what people say, you know, the general public will comment on what they think it is along with the Dexcom and the Abbott Freestyle Library. It's, it's just kind of funny. <laughs> The general public is like, oh, are you a robot? Or is this, a, uh, what is it, a nicotine patch? And I'm like, ah, that would <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right, if I needed that much nicotine, it'd be crazy, but. Oh my gosh, did I tell you, I went to urgent care not too long ago, just for, you know, a cold or something. And my urgent care physician did not know what my CGM was, you know, Yay! so educated. Yeah, yeah. So education, it, it needs to happen in a lot of places. So yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Omnipod and seeing how that experience will be. But well, I, I can't wait to hear a, like a final, like a recap of how that goes down. A lot of people are transitioning into new technology. It's exciting. I'm thankful for all the tools that are currently available. There's no doubt. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Rachel, for joining the show. And I look forward to seeing you succeed in whatever you decide to do throughout your diabetes world. And I hope to for all things holy that your travel experiences in the future will be less of a less of a burden for lack of a better term. Well, thank you. It was so great being here. Thanks Amber for the opportunity. I appreciate it. No worries. Rachel's story is my first real life connection to a COVID related type 1 diabetes diagnosis. I'm confident this is one of many stories our community will hear about and will hopefully help excel scientific research efforts. So many words. 
As I wrap up, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diet peeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me anytime at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Yes, I'm